The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. Welcome to the Elk Talk podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson, presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk doing it's like 120 yards away. What do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk's being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes, but if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. (laughs) Did we hit the record button? I forgot to hit the record (laughs) button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> well, Corey, it's a beautiful morning here in Utah. It is. Yeah, we both get to see the same sunrise. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that they're having that big party outside your room last night. You know, it was a party outside my room last night and a party outside my room this morning. So Yeah. No wonder you look so tired, but you still had had the energy to go work out. I did. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel too tired. I I think it's probably my eyes are bloodshot from my LASIK surgery. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, well. I don't mean to brag, but there's dead people who didn't sleep as well as I did last <laughs> night. So That's good. I think you needed it. <laughs> uh, Lasix, huh? Yeah. I had that in 2007. Something tells me it's probably even more refined in the last I 16 years. People are telling me they've had it like two years ago, and they're like, yeah, the pain was terrible for about three or four hours, and it started subsiding. I had zero pain. Like on yeah, a scale uh, of zero to 100, it was a zero. Yeah. That's how it was for me, too. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got lucky. The, the only thing I had was a little bit of dryness for a while. And then my eyes were hypersensitive to sun for maybe a month. Yep. And uh, then after that, it was, it was Clear the best thing I ever did. Yep. And, but over 16 years, because I do so much computer work at a CPA firm and then in the off-season on our editing and everything else, uh, my right eye has adjusted for reading. Wow. Yeah. That's, my, my that's pretty awesome. My left eye is still perfect. When yeah. I go to the optometrist, he's like, I cannot believe how good your left eye is. So uh, it created this problem with archery where as my right eye adjusted over time. And it's just been in about the last three years that my pins are blurry and the target's clear or the target's blurry and the pins are clear, depending (laughs) on how hard I squint my right eye. Gotcha. Uh, So I wear a contact in my right eye Hmm. for when I'm hunting. Yeah. Uh, Donnie actually got LASIK just in one eye. No way. Yeah, so he can see far in one eye and near in the other. And then he does the same. He wears a corrective contact if he needs to but 
he's, I guess, shooting with your eye open, with both eyes open. He can see his pin with one eye and the target with the other, and hmm. I, I don't know. That would mess me up. I have yeah. to have both my eyes seeing the same. Yeah. Oh, me too. The the downside is when I put that contact in my right eye, it corrects for a long, um, being more farsighted, uh, or makes makes my far vision better. I got to wear a reader. Cheater glasses. <laughs> well, you saw me struggling with my water bottle this morning. <laughs> and they told me, so they, they gave me a little bit of uh, conflicting information because I they said, you know, you'll probably need readers. And I was like, is that after the surgery? And the lady was like, no, it's because of your age. Oh, and I'm like, well, if it's, if it's because of my age, I'm fine right now. Like six inches, yeah, I can't focus at six inches. Yeah. But nine, ten inches, I'm totally fine. Right. So I can I can see stuff up close. And she's like, yeah, you'll probably need readers. And I'm like, so is it my age or is it the surgery? And she's like, well, you know, as you get older. And I'm like, I can see okay now. Am I right. going to need readers after the surgery? And then, mm-hmm. yeah, sure enough, I've got about 20 inches now that I can't yeah. focus on anything. And it, I think that'll get better. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I had a little bit of that, like, panic mode when I first got done. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to stand, you know, 10 feet away from my computer screen or yeah. something. And uh, it did get better. See, and uh, I can see my computer screen, like, at two feet away. Yeah. Everything's just fine. But when I'm holding, like, the water bottle, I couldn't even get the lid off the water bottle. It's one of those <laughs> child-proof flip lids. And I'm sitting there. I can't focus on it to even see where I'm supposed to flip it at. And I had to hold it out. And, you know, my phone, I can't focus on my little emails on my phone. So I have to hold it out, like, 20 inches away. And then the text is too small. So uh-huh. hopefully, I'm. if it gets better, that would be... Because my vision, long distance, I've never seen so clearly. Yeah. No, it was it was such a great thing for me because a lot of times in the early season when you're hunting, if you're wearing contacts, there's all the dust and dirt yeah. and you know, you start feeling like you're getting some sort of infection in your eye and it's yeah. just not not the ideal solution. Yeah. So well Yeah. I was I think twenty fifty, twenty forty five, twenty fifty before. So it wasn't like I was Coke bottle blind. I didn't yeah. even wear glasses or anything, but I'm 2015 in both eyes now, and yeah. and immediately you know, we're a week after, and I can see, I can see stuff on the other mountain across the canyon where I couldn't even see a target at 60 yards before. So <laughs> I'm loving it, <laughs> and uh. and I have a new excuse. So if I miss an elk during season, I can be like, well, you know, LASIK messed with my eyes, and I just you know uh, haven't yeah, right. got, haven't got the aiming down. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, I noticed, you know, we, we, folks, if you're wondering, Corey and I are here at uh, the Total Archery Challenge. Uh, in utah right now you did bring your bow so i did you you, you should be getting practiced up or are you just carrying it I'm around just carrying uh, it around to look to fit in fit you in. know yeah or the total archery challenge if you don't have a bow you yeah. kind of stand out yeah so like you really fit in you're wearing shorts you're yep. carrying a bow you got a mountain ops t-shirt on and I'm walking around in blue jeans. And a long sleeve flannel. And a long sleeve shirt because I don't do sun very well. <laughs> and yeah, I'd, yeah. I, 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 I don't even have my bow with me. Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm not shooting. So. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then tonight you and I got to do the fundraiser thing for RMEF. No, we get to. Do the fundraiser right. thing. Yeah. What did I say? I think you said we got to. We've got to? Yeah. Okay. So. Well, 
I, I say that in that, you know, we can't just go goof off. That's true. Yeah. So, we I, got I mean, we could, but. <laughs> that's, uh, that's why I'm not shooting today. I just want to hang out and yeah, visit. I, so I'm, I'm having this inner conflict with, uh, I was at the RMEF booth yesterday, and when I'm there, I always try to get people to sign up to be a member. But we're going to do another win a hunt with Randy thing again Ooh. starting September 1st. You don't want to come out of the gate too early then. Well, some of the people are like talking to me. Yeah, I sure wish I'd be. I see every once in a while I do these, you do these sweepstakes to win a hunt. And I'm like, well, yeah. If you become a member or renew or upgrade starting September 1st, I think it'll run through October 31st. Uh, you'd be in that. I would? No, not oh, you. They, them. You've and always held me out of that, and I thought there for a minute you gave me hope. Yeah, well. You were talking to them. Yeah. That they would And so I didn't convert many people yesterday, yeah. but I think I got them all converted as of September, September 1st. Yeah. So. But, uh, yeah, it's fun just hanging out at these events, yeah. telling stories and hearing everybody's stories, and you just get to meet a lot of fun people you do uh, yeah. it's a good crowd yeah i enjoy it so anyhow this morning our task is to find which of the three local dairy queens have 400 dilly bars but we <laughs> i rented that big suv just so we can fill it with dilly bars and we're gonna have to go at high speed up that switchback well don't to go the, too fast because i'm i've got a challenge to see how many i can eat by the time we get up there know, so. you, can, you eat all you want i know <laughs> you can only eat so many before we get there <laughs> uh because there's a freezer in the in that uh restaurant right behind the the big tent that rmef is in they, they said they'd let us put them in that freezer so hmm. yeah but i don't know most times when i walk into a dairy queen and i even order a hundred dilly bars yeah. they don't even they're like well we he'll buy us out of inventory well isn't that why you have inventory yeah isn't you know? don't, aren't you okay with that yeah i mean <laughs> part of retail is inventory turns at highest possible margin yeah so <clears throat> we'll see how that well, goes we got three of them so maybe between the three we can yeah at least get we'll it be driving around <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we don't have anything to keep them in. They'll melt in the yeah. back. We'll be driving up there. It's, <clears throat> I don't know, 90 degrees, and it'll be so cold in the car. We'll have the AC turned way down. We'll have to wear our coats. Up there. <laughs> That's why but, you're wearing a long sleeve. Yeah. So, But anyhow, uh, between all the emails I read this morning that came in through the Elk Talk podcast and then questions at events like this, uh, a lot of people are getting in the in the mood for yeah. elk hunting. I guess. Only like a month away. Yeah, getting a lot of questions about hunting archery elk in, in warm weather. So they must plan on going out opening weekend. Montana, our opener is always the first Saturday of September or the Saturday prior to Labor Day. Okay, so you're <clears throat> you opener like the fourth this year, oh, okay. I think, or whatever that the third or fourth, yeah. something like that. And you guys in Idaho, you always open on a calendar date, correct? August 30th. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And how long does your archery season run? Through September 30th. Through se so a month. Yeah. I think Colorado this year is like September 2nd through sometime in late September. Nevada, they a couple of theirs open August yeah. 15th. Yep. And they're early. Some of them open September 1st. Uh, Utah's early. Yeah. 
Yeah, Wyoming, well, September 1st <clears throat> through the 30th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, think Oregon opens early this year, too. Oh, like, does it? I think the 26th or something of August. Don't quote me on that, but it oh. seems like it's oh. mm. in August. Well, I try to avoid early season. So when people ask me, I'm like, I don't know. I'm fishing or grouse hunting or antelope hunting or something. <laughs> I'm, but uh, I. And then they always ask me calling questions. I'm like, why are you asking me? Ask Corey. Go find him. He's over at the prime tent over there. <laughs> <laughs> That's because they had shade in their tent. Oh. And I was tucked back in the corner hiding in the shade. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was hot up there. But, uh, you know, I'm coming to your lovely state of Idaho. And you're oh. hunting early, aren't you? I'm hunting early because it's the only time I can fit it in my calendar. Uh We'll drive down on the 4th that evening and then hunt starting on the 5th. If you're into moon phases, I didn't pick a very good moon phase. It's probably going to be hot. It just, you know, that risk you run that. Isn't that Labor Day weekend also? It is. We're we're heading down. Uh, We're going to let people get it out of their system on Saturday. Uh, uh, Heading down on... uh, Sunday night, and then, yeah, we are starting hunting Monday. Monday, but most of the people are checking out yeah. Monday. So, uh, yeah, that's the plan, but I've been doing a lot of e-scouting. And actually, when we when I flew out of Bozeman yesterday, I flew right over the area I'm going to hunt. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay. Some aerial scouting. And, yeah, I yeah. mean, you get that by looking at, at uh, aerial maps. A satellite maps, but uh, it got me thinking about a lot of things and uh, where they're going to be. Are they going to be active? I'm shooting the first legal elk I see. Well, it's anything antlerless, spike. Really? I think so. I better check that. I didn't know I could shoot a cow. Yeah, most oh. of most of the over the counter units in Idaho for archery with an A tag, you can shoot a anything. Anything. Oh well. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I mean, definitely check and make sure because each unit or each zone is yeah. does have slight variations. But. Yeah, I'll check that out. So, I mean, obviously I'll do a lot of calling, but in Montana, anyhow, you know, not too far away from where I'll be hunting, most of the calling you do early in the season like that, don't expect a lot of responses Yeah, and expect a lot of elk to come in quiet. Yeah. And silent. Is that your experience also? Yeah, and I mean, the the place you're hunting, there's a lot of predators. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of activity on Labor Day weekend. The elk are going to be pretty, you yeah. know, they're, they're going to go from their relaxed summer characteristics to, all right, it's there's a lot of activity in the woods this weekend. And yeah. So, yeah, it's you, like you said, early season's tough anyway. Donnie and I hunted opening day last year i think or at least close to it and we hunted that first week of september and we heard very very few bugles we only called yeah. in one elk and it was the elk that he shot on the last night of the hunt so yeah. Yeah, that early season's tough and we you know our strategy was sit water during the middle of the day and they weren't coming into water during the middle of the day they had been up uh-huh. until season started and then they just kind of i don't know if they had enough water different places we were just picking the wrong ones but we had trail cameras up that weren't getting elk during the day and so there's definitely a shift right about that time where the bulls move off by themselves they're not patternable as far as coming into that water 
Um, it's just a, there's a transition there that can be difficult to hunt, especially if yeah. you aren't talking. The Elk Talk podcast has been sponsored from the beginning by our friends at Go Hunt. And you may think of them about draw odds and all the other information that we use and we talk about. But the one thing a lot of people don't know is they have the best Western hunter gear shop anywhere. So if you're interested and you're buying gear and you want to get a discount on regular priced items out on their gear shop, go out to gohunt.com and go to the shop. And when you do, use promo code ELKTALK when you check out and you're going to save quite a bit of money on all those regular priced items. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. ELKTALK podcast is also brought to you by the University of Elk Hunting. The University of Elk Hunting was founded by Corey Jacobson. It is now part of the suite of courses out there at outdoorclass.com. So if you want to sign up for the University of Elk Hunting and save some money, go out to outdoorclass.com and use ELKTALK as your promo code, and you'll get 20% off. But more importantly, you're going to get the University of Elk Hunting. You're going to get other courses from Outdoor Class taught by Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, John Barklow, Hank Shaw, Jamie Teagan, and on and on and on. There you have it. Outdoorclass.com will get you the University of Elk Hunting. Just make sure you use promo code ELKTALK and save 20%. Yeah, that's what I tell people from about late August to maybe September 10th or 12th, we're talking about going from early season to peak rut in two weeks, maybe. That is the most rapid transition in the life of a bull elk of any two-week period in the whole whole year. Yeah. August 15th, you know, 10th, 15th, they rub their velvet, their necks are still skinny, and they have the summer sleek necks. Yeah. And three weeks later... They've got the long hair on their necks. Their necks are three times as big as they were before. Their antlers are hard. Yeah. They uh, they go from hanging out with a group of bulls to being by themselves to now having a group of cows. And yeah, yeah. that three-week period there is just yeah. rapid change, which yeah. means what they're looking for, what they're doing, where you find them, how they're acting, everything changes, changes there. The same Sometimes way. overnight. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to figure out what my strategy is going to be is probably going to be kind of what you and Donnie did last year. I mean, you know, call as much as I can, but in the heat of the day, try to find these places where, all right, this is a little bit of an undisturbed area. Maybe they'll come in here to water. If you can find a wallow or just through tracks, you can see places where they're watering, but I'm going to be it so well watered. It's like, which of these 500 water sources are they going to choose today? And that's the hard part. You know, when we talk about Idaho and Montana and Wyoming and Colorado, we're not as susceptible to drought. Like when we talk about drought, you know, they 
Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, they rely on water. And when it's dry there, there's only one water hole where every animal has to go to water. Right. In Idaho, when it's dry, yeah, there's a lot of you know forest fires or whatever, but they've got water around every corner, literally. I mean, there's springs that never dry up, even on the driest years. Yeah. There's always moisture for them. And, yeah. Well, in the hiking I've been doing up high, holy cow, there, <laughs> there is so much forage. I, it's, th- this is one of those years where the cow elk will be able to utilize pretty much the entire range yep. from the highest summer range down into the transition range. It's, I mean, it's like year up round, to my like, chest. Yeah. There's going to be green, good, nutritious food for them, like you said, down low, up high. So they're going to be scattered. and Yeah. So normally, you know, if it's a drought year, you know where those wetter bands have been, either by elevation or by slope aspect. And, you know, northeast slopes usually are consistently a little greener. Well, there's some west slopes still that, have a lot of forage on yep. them that in most years by now just been burned to a crisp. Yeah. So. At our house, it's always usually July 4th when things go from green to to brown. Yeah. You know, and it's a, we usually get a week of hot weather right there leading up to July 4th. And that one week is all it takes. Huckleberries start popping. You know, everything just happens. When I left home, the huckleberries were barely, there were just a couple that were starting to turn purple like you said, everything is still green. The fields are green, and here we are almost 1st of August. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to change, but I think it's going to change things for the better. I think, you yeah. know, the, the elk aren't going to be isolated in one little pocket. You're right. going to find elk in more locations, which hopefully will spread the people out. Uh, it should, you know, and you look at places that have been in drought that are now, you know, that rely on water that are now wet. Yeah, the Antler growth in those places is going to be... Off the charts. I already saw that. Did you I see? I think the governor tag yeah, did in you Arizona. Get that same email yeah. yesterday? Holy cow. Yeah. That 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 was crazy for whatever day they must have shot that. Yeah. Some probably Mid-July. in the last couple of days. Yeah. If that's indicative of what the antler growth is like in Arizona and New Mexico and Utah and Nevada. Yep. Hold on. There could folks. be some records. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to have a late rifle tag in Arizona this year. Yeah. Looking at that, it's like, oh, my goodness. I I mean, yeah, those every year those commissioner, governor, whatever tags, they do end up getting the best of the best because yeah. they you know, usually have people out Multiple. looking all the time. <laughs> but still, that's got to be one of the biggest ones I've ever seen. It's and, a good one. Yeah, and just think it could have grown for another week or 10 days. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose they probably didn't want to lose sight of it. Yeah, like, well, and take a chance of it, you know, starting to rub velvet off. And, and go somewhere else. That's, yeah. That's the other thing that <clears throat> if you've been out scouting and right now you're seeing bachelor groups of bulls, once they go and rub that velvet, they're probably going to be in different locations. They're going to start going to their solo patterns and repositioning near where the breeding usually happens. Yep. They could be five, six miles away. Or farther. Yeah, yeah the, the big bull I shot in Arizona, it's been 15 years ago now, they watched it in the summer in a completely different unit. Really? And I didn't even, I mean, I didn't know that bull existed. He <clears> just <throat> happened to show up where I was one day and I shot him. But yeah. after I shot him, there were several people like, I can't believe you shot him in that unit. We were watching him all summer over in this unit. Yep. 
So they'll go, you know, they'll travel, like you said, five, six, even eight or 10 miles to go to find the cows, even though there, it, it always amazes me because there might be cows right there. Right. But they will leave and go 10 miles away to their rutting ground to find different cows. <coughs> well, maybe Betty Lou lives over in That's that true. And she just he remembers from last eye. fall yeah. that you know. <coughs> Betty's had a sweet eye for me. I'm, yeah. <laughs> you know. or, or maybe Fred isn't over there. You know, exactly. Maybe Fred is in his unit and just keeps whooping on him. He's like, you know what? I'm going over here. Tom's not as tough as Fred. Yep. So. I, I don't know. It makes you wonder, right? Totally. The randomness of that, of where they go and what they do and why yep. some of them go this way and some of the bulls go a different direction. And then they all end up back together at the same place yep. in the fall, the winter, <laughs> the spring. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> if you've been out scouting, that's great. You're probably learning a lot about the roads, the trails, where the hunting pressure might come from. You know, kind of like I've been observing how, what the forage looks like because the cows are what's going to really be, their location is really driven by the forage. Maybe you're seeing some water sources and stuff, but just know if you're, if you're keeping an eye on a group of bulls, there's a very good chance they will be quite a ways away once yeah. they rub their velvet. Absolutely. And, and relocating them, they're, they're moving so much by late August that it can be... Yep. And it's, you know, we used to, when we were hunting areas that had a lot of logging roads and you could drive the logging roads, we could always tell when it was starting because there would be solo bull tracks on those logging roads walking for like four miles and they're just walking, looking for cows and it'd be like, all right, they're on the move. Now's the time to be calling them because they're looking for cows. They've got established dominance. So they're willing to fight. They don't have the cows yet. And so that was always our sign is when you see big solo bull tracks on logging roads mm-hmm. that's when it's about to start and it was always that september 5th ish time frame yeah. and then by about the 10th or 12th they've usually found their herds and their cows right. and from then until the you know 17th 18th a week there that's when they're fighting and you know cows are swapping back and forth different bulls are coming in yeah. and then from then you know after that from the you know 21st 22nd on they've got their established harems their more focused on breeding and yeah so there's just kind of that you know you can almost break it down into week sections that august 28th through september 5th is when you're going to find the bigger bulls by themselves in their staging area raking not moving very far all solo they've all broken up on different ridges and benches and then from the 5th to the 12th you're going to find the bulls kind of roaming and you know individual bulls looking for cows and then the 12th through the 19th you're going to find bulls that are fighting super vocal you know it's a good time to call and then the 19th through the end of the month is when they're you know a lot of vocal activity it's gonna be harder to call the bulls in and so that kind of helps us break down which week we want to hunt and then you you know couple that with the moon phase and the closer you get to the end of september the more likely you're going to have those cold crisp frosty mornings and so there's just all these different things going on do you want to hunt a big bull while he's by himself before he's you know, while he's patternable, you know where he's at, he's hanging out in that little staging area. Do you want to try to catch him while they're out on the move and, you know, different elk every day are coming through? Do you want to get in when all these bulls are getting together and they're really wanting to fight and establish, you know, who's the boss? And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Well, for me, the answer to that, all of those is yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I, I plan on, uh, hunting, really hard for six days and uh 
you know, hunt daylight till dark, not go back to camp just because I've, it's amazing how many times you'll catch a bull watering at noon or one o'clock yep. or two o'clock. And the, the, of all the times I hunt and it, it just seems like a quieter period in, in general, which makes sense, but too many times and this is a question somebody had uh if you think elk are coming in silent how long do you stay somewhere <laughs> once you call because i got ants in my pants and a lot of times if one does come in they've come in silent and i'm like well let's go and you take two steps and all of a sudden you hear yep and uh it's like dang I should have known that. How many times am I going to have to mess this up yeah. before I, I pay attention? So, uh, that so how long do you sit? Yeah. <laughs> so I we we uh, I'm the same. I can't sit still. I just you know if nothing's answering, it's like yeah something might be coming in, but something might not be coming in. When mm-hmm. you get an answer, you know there's an elk there. When nothing's talking, it's right. you know you're rolling the dice. But more times than not, especially those younger bulls, you know the. The four point, five point, small six point, they're more curious during that early season, yeah. that first week. And so it's pretty common that if you're just calling, and again, you're not going to be aggressive with your calling. It's going to be some cow calls, a little, you know, location bugle or something. Nothing mm-hmm. at all aggressive. If you get aggressive, they'll move off. Yeah. But man, so many times that first week, you can hear a branch break and it's like, all right, something's over there. Yeah. Pretty soon you'll see a head pop up and look around and it's hard, you know, because they're coming in slow and cautious and they're stopping and they'll stand there for 10 minutes without moving, just listening. And yeah, but it happens. Yeah. Well, I, to, to further complicate it, I'm going by myself with a camera guy. <laughs> so I, it's not like I have a calling partner. Yeah. So I got to do the old call and and move to a position, call and move to a position kind of thing based on what I think the wind's doing. So um, I guess I'm just... You're stacking the deck against uh, yeah, yourself. Yeah, I'm just loading up on excuses there already, Corey. Yep. So, uh, and then I I actually, my next elk hunt is in Kentucky. That season opened September 30th. It's not my tag. Uh, a sweepstakes winner got that tag. Uh, and I'm just going down there to help. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of the biologists and the, the people who hunt a lot of elk down there, and they're like, yeah, it, you're peak rut. You're and in for a like, treat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, the place that, how it works in Kentucky is because the, the elk habitat area is 90% private, these mines, these old mine companies and timber companies or whatever they are, get they open their land to public hunting and then they get a few permits to sell or to donate or whatever. So they donated one to the Elk Foundation for the sweepstakes we did last year. And so when I was talking to people, they're like, yeah, that's all great, but just know there's going to be a lot of people in there. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm accustomed to that. Uh, so I don't know what they mean by that. Uh, I can only um, imagine that during the peak of the rut in a place like Kentucky, when the elk start bugling and get active, it's, you know, there's a lot of sightseeing going on and yeah, just people being out there observing and listening. and Yeah. So that'll be fun. And then after that, I switched to my old comfort zone of rifle hunting. Yeah. So 
which is so funny. I was talking to a friend the other day, and he's like, you going to rifle hunt this year? And I said, yeah, we'll probably try to, to get a tag for rifle hunting, but I just, I haven't had luck finding mature bulls in yeah. rifle season. It's For me, it's tough. You, I mean, that's your comfort zone. You put you out there for seven days, and you're going to find elk. And Yeah, but I still have my share of stumbles <laughs> <laughs> uh, i guess when that's mostly what you do from mid-october to the first week of december you figure you it out get a little bit of a knack for it yeah uh, so uh some guys were asking me yesterday uh cow calls in the early season should we do more cow calling i think you just kind of touched on that of don't be super aggressive yeah. when they're in that that part of their there's i guess seasonal pattern yep yeah i mean if you're hunting that first week of september the bulls haven't quite started branching out yet they're in their solo places you can usually tell i mean there's gonna be fresh rubs you're gonna see fresh tracks from a bull and if you get into that there's no need to just keep going through and you know bugling aggressively and bumping them you know sit down rake yeah. a tree just start raking a tree and then listen for a bit and throw out a couple of cow calls and just listen for a bit. It's a lot, you know, it's, it's not as exciting yeah. if you're an impatient person like me, it's hard <laughs> to just sit there, but those elk are spread out enough and there's just one bull here. There's one bull on the next ridge. And if you start just going through aggressively, you're going to bump them and you're not going to see them again. So, yeah. well, hopefully I luck out work hard and an opportunity or two comes my way uh we're trying to do some videos that get into more detail about taking care of meat in hot weather yeah i'm hoping we get a cold snap then and then i don't one the hunting will be better too i won't be as hot and three i won't have to do these videos because it's, <laughs> it's cool but i i'd say in the west anymore it seems like until about september 20th yeah it can be cooking yeah you might get a cold morning here and there but the overall weather pattern you're still just yeah you're, you might cool down at night but you're still getting up into the mid 80s at least during the day and even in the high country yeah so i i don't know i guess first i got to worry about getting one on the ground before i gotta worry about <laughs> you know and i think like a lot that. of people do that though they're like oh, i'll worry about how to figure it out once i get one down then they get one down and realize I don't have time to figure this out. The clock's yeah. ticking, and so it's definitely good to be prepared and know what you're going to do in a situation like that. Yeah. Well, and this is another thing that is, uh, you know where we're going, and there's grizzlies there. Uh, every time I have an elk hanging in grizzly country, it's not when I'm doing the gutting and gilling that I'm worried it's when I come back for yeah. that second load. I am just, I always come back with a shotgun. Yeah. I, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I get the whole bear spray. I got bear spray too, but I'm coming back with a shotgun. Yeah. I, you just, it's just a reality of, of what we're dealing with. Yeah. You know? And once they find it, it's theirs. It's not like you're going to oh, run yeah. a grizzly bear off of your meat and no. go over and pick a quarter up off the ground and pack it out. It's, yeah. you just, acknowledge that that's that's their meat yeah you, know? you, you you can steal that i'm not here to fight you and uh you know about that time of year they enter that period of hyperphagia where they're just eating anything and everything and they know in about two months they're going to be going to hibernate yeah. and it's all about calories and getting fat 
And what I've found in all the areas we've hunted in grizzly area, I won't hunt after September 15th in there. If I'm hunting grizzly area, hmm. the first half of September, it seems like they're still up high looking at berries. And mm-hmm. But man, every gut pile that hits the ground is just another beck and call for them to come down and, yeah. you know, get closer to that hunting area. And by the time October comes around and rifle season opens, they, they're relying on that. They know that there's going to be gut piles there and that's a food source for them that they can't pass up. And yeah. so that first two weeks of September, I think the chances of a grizzly encounter are much lower. The second half of September, though, I won't hunt in grizzly country. Just, I mean, it's every ridge yeah. has a gut pile on it or a carcass, you know, and so yeah. it's, the chances of bumping a grizzly just go up exponentially. Almost like unintentional baiting for grizzly It bears. is, yeah, <laughs> totally. And you don't know where they're at. They're like landmines out there. You're just walking along and pop down into a draw, and it's like, oh, there's a carcass there. Back out, back out, back out. There could be a bear right here. Yeah, well, it was... The year that we did some destination elk stuff with you, three years ago, two years ago, two or three years, uh, we're hunting one of my favorite spots in Montana that is grizzly infested, and uh, we hear some calling. Ends up to be another hunter, and we end up talking to each other, and he's like, "You guys walked right by a dead carcass there." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> Yeah, my buddy shot one just down in that little hole there. So just beware of that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if I would have known that, there's no way I would have come down into this yeah. hole. Uh, because they, they just show up. And already this month in Montana, there's a grizzly been spotted in the prior mountains way over south of Billings. And you think about, okay, that How bear's get there? Yeah, They've spotted one in the crazy mountains. He's been wandering around there. Uh, they've had, uh, earlier they've had some in the Little Belt Mountains, so they're like moving and moving. Totally. And, and, uh, and why is that? Because yeah. there's too many of them. <laughs> we, we, we definitely have more than what anyone ever thought. So yeah. I guess the point of that is there's a lot of places where you just have a chance of running into one. Yep. So... Have your head on a swivel. I was just going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> uh, we've, we, uh, we hunted Wyoming, well, when we made the linguist film, and Donnie shot a bull, and we drug the carcass out on an open hillside that was four or 500 yards across the draw, just thinking, hey, we can hike out to this ridge and look over, and I think there were five grizzlies on it, and two big male grizzlies that were fighting over it. I mean, we got a show, like, you can't imagine, but it just... You see the tracks, you see the scat, you're like, yeah, there's grizzlies here. But then you see five grizzlies on one That's hillside crazy. and you realize how many are out there and <laughs> you're bumping, you know, you're weaving through them and just taking a chance you're going to bump into one. Yeah, boy, I hope I don't have that problem. I, uh, I, uh, I'll admit I flirt with disaster. Um, isn't that an old Molly Hatchet song, Flirting with Disaster? I don't know. That'd be before your time. I was going to say, you're so. teaching. I mean, a couple episodes ago, you had some Hank Williams lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I hope it never happens. I, yeah. I just don't need that that headache. But you got to be prepared for it. And uh, that's why, like, you know, about mid-November, there's enough snow and cold that it's like, all right, uh I'm a little more comfortable in this. Except for that place you sent us in Montana a couple of years ago. Yeah. There was somebody got attacked by a grizzly up there in November. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, that's my favorite spot. So no, that's I what, bet that's it is. I sent you there. That's your favorite spot to send me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we we got a lot of people thinking about that, and uh, one of the things I've been in, trying to encourage them to do is don't go back to camp in hot weather yeah. and take a nap at camp. Find a water source, get on the upwind side of it, and just take your nap there. If yeah. And there's multiple reasons. I mean, one, every minute you're in the woods, you increase the chances of an encounter. Mm-hmm. And every encounter you have increases the the opportunity for success. So, yep. you know, that's that's a big one. But if you're hiking up to the top of the mountain in the morning and you get up on top and decide to hike back down to the bottom of the mountain to go to camp, you're dragging your scent all the way from the top back to the bottom while the thermals are coming up. So not just the elk that you walk by, but elk right. that are in the drainages on either side of you are going to smell you and know that there's people there. So yep. I like to start out at the bottom in the morning. Thermals are coming down. Hike up the mountain. As you get up there, they switch. Then stay up on the mountain until they switch again and come down. That's what the elk do. Right. And when you do that and recognize what the thermals are doing, it, it prevents your scent being drug all over the mountain multiple times. Yeah. Well, that's uh, th- that's my plan. I'm because I'm in grizzly country, and you you have to take a lot of precautions when you do a camp in grizzly country to minimize your your risk of a problem. Uh, we've actually rented a forest service cabin. Nice. There's, so a lot of people may not know this is you can rent across the west. The forest service has cabins. Yeah. For thirty bucks a night. Yep. And. You can rent them six months in advance. So I was marking my days. I'm like, all right. And I went out there, and no one had rented this cabin yet. And you could rent that day, and it lets you, I think, rent seven or ten days from whatever date it is. So yep. I shouldn't tell that. Now now it's going to be harder for me to get my cabin reservations well, in the future. It's, I but. think it's probably harder to get a tag in Idaho than it is to get the cabin reservations. It is anymore. Or do you, I saw you guys reissued some tags. What, what do you like, mean? like return tags. Oh, yeah. Reissued. Once a month. they. Oh, it's once a month. Yeah, any tags that get turned back in. You know, if somebody says, I can't go on that hunt or right. something happens. So there were, I don't remember how many elk tags were turned back in just here in July, but it, there was a handful yeah, and some decent ones. You know, most of the good units, there was only one or two tags. So the chances of, you know, two people getting one, but I know several people that picked up tags hmm. uh, last week in Idaho. So Okay. And then Colorado in August starts their returned or reissue list. Nevada starts their first come, first serve list. Montana just issued or handed out i don't know what you'd call it the priority list in other words here's where you're at in line and for the elk tags every year we we usually have return tags where if you're in the 300s most years you're gonna be in the running once you get past that because they're just like okay you got number one in line here's your tag yeah And it just depends on how many of them get returned. Uh, so trying to think. I don't think Wyoming has one of those systems. They have a leftover draw right. that happens, was it the end of June, I yep. think? Yeah. And you have like a five-day period there. Any tags that were left over, anybody can apply for them. Right. And uh, 
Then New Mexico, I don't think New Mexico has anything like that. Arizona doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Arizona just, I'm not sure what Arizona does <laughs> if there's return tags. Why anyone would return an Arizona yeah. tag, I don't know. I know Utah has an alternate system where they just keep going to the next person on the list because in 2014, that's how I got an archery tag in Utah. Yep. They called me and said, hey, someone turn this tag back in. Will you take it? I'm like, with four points? Yeah, I'll yeah. take that. So, And I've heard it's in Nevada that um, somebody said that they got a phone call from the department and said, hey, you're next on the list and the season opens in like two weeks or whatever. I don't hmm. know if it was Nevada. It might have been Utah. But okay. Yeah, so it's I don't the same thing. You... Have an alternate list and it's like, hey, somebody's turned the tag back in. You've got two weeks here. Do you want the tag? And Yeah. Well, I'm... I check, yeah, I want to be on the alternate list for every one of them. If there's an elk tag, uh, weddings, funerals, all that stuff, (laughs) we'll just defer all that, or I just won't be there, unless it's my own funeral. Well, yeah, you'll be at that one. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of late in the game right now for people, if they don't have a tag, it's like, hmm. Okay. Options are getting more and more limited, but yeah. there's still a chance. I mean, there's yeah. still places where you could. <clears throat> yeah, there's the Colorado over-the-counter stuff, but talking to some Colorado guys yesterday, they're like, oh, man, the last, since COVID, it has gotten yeah. so crowded. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if that subsides and kind of... I haven't seen it go. in all the COVID-related increases. It's just, it's... It's not letting go. Yeah. I just, I can't see how Colorado can stay over the counter. I don't either. We're just, you used to be able to show up in Montana as a non-resident. I would show up in Montana on September 10th, walk into Sportsman's Warehouse and buy a tag and go hunting. And now it takes, you know, a couple points. Right. And, you know, it's, I lost all of my points. I'm starting over because if you have more than two, they knock you back down to zero anyway. So you can't build points. Uh, Oregon, the holy side of Oregon that everybody relied on for over-the-counter hunting mm-hmm. of Rocky Mountain elk. It's all draw now. Right. Uh, Idaho used to be the same thing. I could, as right. a resident, I could shoot an elk on September 15th and go down to the sporting goods store and buy a leftover non-resident tag. Clear. I mean, there were some years they never sold out. Really? And once COVID hit, they started selling out the day that they became available, you know, December 1st or whatever for non-residents. Yeah. And Wyoming, you know, a general tag only took one or two points to draw. So you had a lot of options as a non-resident for literally just showing up and hunting. Yeah. All of those options are gone now with the exception of Colorado. So that puts all of that pressure on Colorado over the counter that if you just want to plan on going hunting, the only place you can truly plan on it is Colorado. Yeah. And I just, the resources can't handle it. Then yeah, you throw in the fact that they're trying to throw wolves in the middle of everything and yeah. there'll be a draw yeah. sooner than later. Well, uh, if you live in Colorado, I hope you give an attaboy to Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming yeah. because all of us have refused to ship you guys any wolves. Yep. Knowing the problem that it causes. Yeah. So it's not like we want to keep all these extra wolves for ourselves. <laughs> it's just like, you know, if you had some bad disease or something, yeah. you know, you, you should go 
I, I guess we're we're social distancing our wolves That's from, right. from Colorado. Well, we just know that the plague that we've experienced, we wouldn't wish it on even our enemies and even the people who are dumb enough to vote to have wolves in their I state. An article in, it showed up in my news feed. It was a Colorado newspaper about trying to explain why the northern rocky states wouldn't give up any wolves and there was if you go read the comments at the bottom there's all this moaning and belly aching <laughs> it's like well you know you're the ones who voted for it yeah you should have maybe decided to, is anyone going to give us any wolves yep. you can have them but where are you going to get them yeah but no if you guys want some grizzly bears we got it i will send you three <laughs> or four hundred of those just tell us where we we drop them off uh. Um, yeah. Now, and when we say the people who voted for wolves, we know that most of the people listening to this yeah. podcast are not in that group. So we yeah. aren't lumping all Colorado's, right. <laughs> Colorado's residents into that state. Yeah. I mean, it, it only passed by a very, very thin margin. I know. Dang it. I wish it. But, and I'm sure, I mean, they've already had a couple packs established up in the northwest yeah. corner. So eventually they are going to get there. But I'm, I'm not inclined to put the foot on the gas. And you know, when I plant a garden, I, I know that weeds are eventually going to get there, but I don't go plant weeds in my garden. That's... <laughs> you know, if we know they're eventually going to get there, I can stay ahead of that and the elk can adjust to it. And man, you go and plant them there and everybody gets blindsided. And... Yeah. Uh, even when you brought up Wyoming, it made me think about the corner crossing case in Wyoming. Uh, that did get appealed to the Tenth Circuit, <laughs> of course. No landowner. He waited until uh, the last day to appeal. He did. It. Yep. He waited till the last day to appeal. He's got to be getting frustrated with his attorneys or embarrassed by him because now the Tenth Circuit said you can't appeal this because you left one thing hanging out there that you didn't address. That's this. There was a, a waypoint that was shown to be on his land and evidently his attorneys don't know that i could be sitting right here in my hotel room and put a waypoint and put a waypoint yeah. somewhere so they added that as part of the original case and then they said well we we you know let's just ignore that well the 10th circuit has said you can't just ignore that you got to decide are you dropping that or not dropping that and uh so he, he's probably asking for his money back at whatever law firm that is yeah. that's representing him. I don't know. Now I'll probably get sued by that law firm. For, <laughs> I don't even know who it is. It's just, okay, you got your butt handed to you. You got summary judgment issued against you. It's like, hmm, that's never good. Right? Yeah. I mean, summary judgment is, that's like, we don't need, don't even need a jury. Yep. Here are the facts. Let the judge apply the law, and the judge said, Mr. Landowner, you lose. Yep. There's enough facts here that support what they're saying. Yeah. We don't need to go through the whole process. And Yeah. So when you said Wyoming, I'm like, because <sighs> it'll be another year to eight, year and a half before yeah. that case actually works its way through the appeals court. But, uh, oh, see how that goes i guess <laughs> I, I don't have a wyoming tag so so for now corner crossing is still not legal 
It depends on. There's a ton of legal opinions out there. Yeah. You know, on my Hunt Talk Radio podcast, I've done four podcasts on that with two attorneys, uh, Tom Stone, Stonecipher and Nick Vandenboss. Uh, and they've said that according to the judge's decision, it applies within the checkerboard of Wyoming, which he, in his writing he did use within the checkerboard is a term he used, and that it's called persuasive but not precedent. Gotcha. At this point for Wyoming district, uh, federal district courts. Uh, but so if it's, if it's considered precedence and a landowner wanted to press charges against a hunter, they could get that case dropped just based on the ruling that has precedence. But where it's it, not, it's, then it could still go through and it would be uh, yeah, if it's, considered. Yeah, persuasive means other judges might listen and... Yeah. and, and Say yeah for right now. We uh, we're, that's what we agree with. They're, but they don't have to. If it's precedent, it's like you're supposed to follow this. Yeah. Um, so even if it gets through the tenth circuit, then technically it's only relevant to the tenth circuit, which is Colorado, Wyoming, uh, I think Utah. Uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma. I, I'm probably rattling off some wrong states, but anyhow, but it that, doesn't that include Montana. And does not. <laughs> we're we're in the lovely ninth district, yeah. Corey. How in the heck did we get? Oh yeah. Oh. <clears throat> there was a congressional uh, effort to separate the ninth district and uh, just leave California, Oregon, and Washington <laughs> in the ninth district, and uh, don't want to leave our good friends in. California, Oregon, and Washington out to, out to sea, but but a lot of those people are moving to Idaho and Montana, <laughs> and they aren't getting away from the Ninth Circuit. Yeah, no, you're not getting away from it. But I'm sure people are like, well, what what does that have to do with anything? Well, what it has to do with a lot of things yeah. is the way the you know federal courts work, and we're talking Endangered Species Act. We're talking. Well, anything that has to do with Endangered Species Act or NEPA, National Environmental Policy Act, FLIPMA, Federal Land Policy Management Act, all of those are federal laws. Yep. And they go through the federal courts. And there's a reason the Ninth Circuit is based in San Francisco. There's a reason why a lot of these cases, the other side, the plaintiffs, want it in the Ninth Circuit because yeah. the Ninth Circuit is known to be somewhat out in the weeds. Yeah. Uh, it's the circuit that usually has the most problem when things get to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's like, you people, what are you guys out there smoking <laughs> in the Ninth Circuit? Uh, but that's, you know, a, a lot of people get mad. Oh, damn feds. You know, the feds this. Well, like in the case of grizzly bear delisting, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has three times now delisted grizzly bears. Yep. The federal scientists and biologists are like, there's enough of them, please. There's too many take, of take them. them. We have take to, them over, yeah. states. We want Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming to take over management of these. And they get sued, and they end up in federal court. And uh, through some whatever little piece that they can find, they find a judge who says, yeah, we agree with you. This delisting ruling 
is null and void until some till you can prove otherwise. Well, everyone gets mad. Oh, damn feds. It is not the feds in yep. that case. It is the judges. And yeah, they are federal judges. But when you're saying feds, don't get mad at the US The official. agencies are, are for it. It's right. one judge that... <laughs> exactly. So when you get frustrated about that stuff... Uh, just know your frustrations shouldn't be focused on the biologist or the the federal U.S. Fish and Wildlife Agency person. Well, I still have people that come up to me and they're like, I just don't support the Idaho fishing game. They're the ones that brought wolves in. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, uh, <laughs> no. are we still trying to educate? I mean, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, way back in the days, I had to defend them because everybody, you know... If, it's just one person gets mad and they need somebody to blame. And it's like, well, they're the ones that are most visible. I'm going to blame them. Right. And there's still, I mean, the damage that, that ripples through the hunting community from some of those misinformed yeah. blames. Yeah, it's just, you know, the Idaho fishing game was not responsible for they, they Their hands were tied. They yeah. couldn't. Right. Couldn't keep them out of Idaho. Yep. And then they were stuck with having to manage them with no budget for it. And yep. so, I mean, there's just a, a lot of things that we like to blame on different agencies or different people that yeah, it's not misguided for sure. Yeah. Because we, when it comes to grizzly bears, I'm just astounded at how how much sign I see of them. Oh, no about. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whew. Man, this yeah. is when, and that's uh, you aren't you aren't looking. You're trying to avoid them. Yeah, yeah if you I, were hunting them and out trying to find them, oh man, you'd realize really quickly yeah, how many there are. Yeah, but oh well, I'm I'm probably not likely to change that anytime soon because no one has appointed Randy Newberg to the federal bench, and if they did. One, I'd be unqualified, and two, those groups certainly don't want to have that case come before Randy <laughs> Newberg if I was sitting at the federal bench. So, uh, I guess that's how it goes. So, I'm I'm trying to wrap up a bunch of the emails in in that topic. Bringing it up is we get our share of emails about people asking about grizzly bears and wolves and. One about hunting within them, and two about the management yeah. and, and where it's all going. And I don't know where it's going. No, and it's—I mean—it's good that we get to manage wolves. Mm -hmm. But even with us doing our best managing them, we aren't keeping ahead. No, there's you know, and that's the more than enough to go around. Yeah, and the states—I don't know how Montana and Wyoming, but I know Idaho is doing very little to do counts and keep up on it because it's so expensive. And they just don't have the budget to be able to say. So, I mean, the estimated numbers are just estimates based mm -hmm. on, well, we've got 13 trail cameras out in this area and we saw four wolves. So we're going to extrapolate and say there's probably 16 wolves in this unit where, you know, there might be a pack of 16 wolves that didn't show up on a trail camera. <laughs> and so yeah. it's, you know, they're, they're, do, they're doing it on a very limited budget and it's not accurate. And I think that our counts are considerably lower than oh, where yeah. the wolf numbers really are. Yeah, every biologist I talk to is like, look, we only have X amount of budget to do so much of this. We have our models and we have to provide, I think they say a 95% confidence level. Yeah. Well, the lower the number yeah. they give, the higher, the, the quicker they get to that 95% confidence level. Yeah. And they all tell me, they're like, we're not trying to tell you there's only 650 wolves in Montana. We're just telling you that with a 95% confidence, we can tell you there's at least that yeah. many. <laughs> Which so. is what they, 
I mean, you look at the lawsuits that come against them. Idaho, you know, the legislative branch is the one that introduced and said, we're going to give the fishing game the authority to kill up to 90% of the wolves. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that overnight fishing games going out and killing 90% <laughs> of the wolves. That right. just means, hey, if we kill 90% of the wolves, we're still within what's required right. by the, you know, the Endangered the Species Act yeah. to delist them. And... It's people erupt over that, you know, yeah. I mean, lawsuits come and it's like, well, they're going to kill 90% of the wolves. That's not good management. And right. They're not killing 90, <laughs> unless you bring back poison, you are not killing 90% no. of the wolves and poison is never going to be allowed on the landscape. So it's, we're it's stuck the, with them. <laughs> it's the reality of our time. So we have to sort out, okay, how do we support conservation and habitat and other things that improve elk or other wildlife and how do we go out and do our part to manage these other animals wolves or bears or lions and then figure out how do we hunt elk yeah that goes back to my garden analogy yeah you know we've got all these weeds we got acres and acres of crops <laughs> planted and we've got all these weeds and only one person to pull them and we can't use chemicals to get rid of them so all we've got to do is find out Hey, this this area right here is really overgrown with weeds. We really need to get out there and pick a few of them. And... Oh, someone's going to send you a bottle of Roundup. <laughs> you can't or, use those on wolves. Uh, yeah, they're going to send you one of those green and black Roundup hats. That's or poison. Oh. Yeah, <clears throat> but so we've we've covered all of those questions. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones the, the readers have sent. I I just read them all. An hour ago, Corey, and I'm... And talked to hundreds of people yesterday. Yeah, and, and I didn't take any notes. Yeah, well... Dang it. There's uh, there's plenty to talk about. I'm excited. We get to do a Q&A tonight. Yeah. And uh, those are my favorite. Like, getting yeah. the emails that we get on the website, mm -hmm. going in and having people ask specific questions. Yeah. You and I can sit here and talk about any topic we want all day. Right. But we want to know what people are thinking. Yeah. Then they can go to elktalkpodcast.com and tell us what they're thinking. Yep. Yeah. As long as it's positive. Yeah. <laughs> well, even if it's I know. We, we get a few once in a while. Uh, like, I wish this or I wish that. But for the most part, I mean, our the comments we get and the questions we get are great. And it gives us some, it makes us think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that, that's for sure. I, I have to think a lot about that. I really give it a lot of thought before I answer because I'm like, well, I'm sure I'll stay, say something stupid. How do I only say one stupid thing instead of a whole, whole mouthful of them? Uh, I'm getting ready to push out a video about getting your feet in shape. Um, wow. Yeah. Getting your feet in shape. Yeah. Because, you know, it is a lot of people yeah. don't live in elk country or live in the mountains. And they're at the gym, and they they come out there in great shape. Well, they, they're at the strength, gym with cardio. workout tennis shoes exactly. on. Yeah. And no weight on their back. They're on the treadmill or on the stair climber. And I don't know how many people come out, and they put on a 20, 30-pound pack. Or maybe they're going way back in there, and their first hike is eight miles with a 55-pound pack. And their feet are not in shape. Yeah. Their feet are in tennis shoe shape. And their boots aren't broken in. Well, no matter how many seasons they've worn them, they aren't broken into their feet. Exactly. Yeah. And so they're laid up for the first three or four days of their hunt. Yeah. So uh, that's a big part of why I really start hiking a lot in May. 
this year I got delayed because of my arm, but uh, is a lot. You're of using your arm as an excuse for not hiking. They told me they didn't <laughs> want me hiking because if I fell. <laughs> Which maybe they're profiling me. They're I was like, going to say, why like, were the they thinking you're going to stand fall? up and puke without falling down? That's Do true. We trust him in the mountains. That so. is true. So it wasn't until uh, the first of June I was allowed to go hiking. But uh, point being, get your feet in shape. Yeah. Because your feet are what's going to get you where you need to go. Yeah. And I, you show me a guy who shows up with his feet already calloused and in shape and the muscles in his ankles and calves and knees ready for side hilling and down hilling and up hilling. That hunter's going to kill some elk. Yeah. You get me some hyper intense, super in shape gym rat who hasn't done anything but jog the sidewalks at home in their tenny runners. Boy, that guy better hope he's hunting on some flat ground. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's, it's, that's probably my that's piece, a good topic. Of, piece of advice for this time of year. Yeah. yeah, everybody knows about, yeah, I got to get my core strength up and I got to this and my cardio and da-da-da. Go but, use the stair stepper and the treadmill and all that, but you're yeah. using it in tennis shoes that are for working out. Yep. You put your boot on and your your legs act differently. The different yeah. muscles are Everything. engaged when you wear boots and where you, when you wear tennis shoes. And yeah, yeah. You know, your ankles are supported in a pair of boots, so it requires more of your yeah. calf and knees than yep. what you do in tennis shoes. So. Yeah, and you're not downhilling or sidehilling. I mean, I, I make a point to sidehill a lot when I'm hiking go this direction so that my right leg is downhill, swap and go the other direction <laughs> so my left leg is downhill. <laughs> because side hilling is what eats up my feet. If I'm going to have a problem, at side hilling. Yeah. Uh, See, when I'm shed hunting in the spring, yeah. the problem is when you walk in, you know, say the mountain's on your right side, you're side hilling, so your left foot's downhill. Mm -hmm. When you get to the back of the drainage, you don't just turn around and come out the same way. Right, you go to the other side, come down. So, uh, yeah, there's yeah. days where it's like my right foot got all the workout today, and it is on fire. Yeah. So, well, no wonder your left leg is longer than your right leg. It is, too. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a little longer. My left leg is definitely uh, the one I have relied on for a long time, which has caused yeah. all sorts of imbalance. Really? Yeah. Mm. Well, you need to just walk around the hill the other direction. That's then. what I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned that at 48 years old, it's, it's <sighs> probably too late to reverse a lot of the damage that's been done. Yeah. Yesterday, somebody, and I know that I, I may have not made you a convert yet, but I'm working on it. Somebody came up to me and said, I finally put my pride aside and I went and bought some trekking poles. I've seen you using trekking poles for 15 years, and I've always thought, what an idiot. I'm here to tell you you're not an idiot. <laughs> like, well, I am an idiot, but at least not for that reason. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Trekking poles are... Well, I, we hunted... The first year I used trekking poles was when you and I hunted together in Montana. Hmm. I don't remember how long ago that was. Eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Was it eight? Yeah. Was it in 15? The, the archery hunt? Yeah. The rifle? Yeah. The archery. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Eight years That's, ago. That makes me feel old. <laughs> me but too. I just remember what? you saying, you know, 
what is, what's in those things? Because you're just cruising up that mountain with those, and they are. They're, they're just like ski poles when you're skiing, cross-country skiing. You try mm. to cross-country ski without poles, and you're spinning yeah. your wheels. Yeah. Man, you get your arms and your shoulders helping pull your legs up the hill, and, mm-hmm. it, yeah. and they're awesome. For me, especially in the mountains, I I sometimes will, you know, like, the peaks when they fold up and they fit in your pack real well. And uh, with those, I at least want to have them when I'm carrying a load. Yeah. Downhill. Yeah, all that weight and yep. uneven terrain. It's like in the dark or whatever, slippery, snotty, slimy, wet snow or something. It's like, no, at least I got to have them for that. But now I'm so lazy, I just use them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> They're always in my pack. Yeah. If I'm elk hunting, they're in there because if I shoot an elk, like you said, I may not use them to hike into the area, mm-hmm. but when I shoot an elk, I don't want to have to walk back and get my trekking poles. It's yeah. I need them there. So, yeah, those peaks I use the Z fold. They're you know the three. They're all connected, but they fold down into three mm-hmm. pieces, and I can put them sideways in the bottom of my pack. And wow. they're that small, so and they're super light, so they're just always there. Yeah. Do we have a promo code with Peak? Yeah. Hey Bryce, if someone tries to use <laughs> if someone tries to use elk talk, I hope you'll give them a discount. <laughs> That's um, right. We, we we need to get more dialed in. We're the worst we guys. Are. Yeah. <laughs> Just try all the try all the promo codes. That's yeah. Randy Elk, elk One Hundred One Elk Talk Podcast. Something's bound to work. Yeah, something. And if somebody sees that you're trying all these promo codes, they might reach out to us and be like, "Hey, do we need a promo code with you guys?" Yeah. It's, there you go. Marriott yeah, Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> Marriott Hotels. Uh, yeah. Are you, are you uh, doing your berry, bla- what do you call it, berry blaster or whatever with you always do with mountain ops? <laughs> so Bugleberry was our original. Okay. So that it's it's available year-round now. So okay. Bull Rush is our new September. Bull Rush? Bull Rush is the new September flavor. So okay. it's only yeah. available in September. And, oh, so I'm ahead of the game. You're ahead of the game, but it was a good reminder for people that because they only get it in September. And I think we had a, like a one-week period when we launched Destination Elk where it sold out in like a couple days Yeah, that they brought in a limited quantity, but it'll be available in September. And Okay. So. Bull rush, huh? You know, in Minnesota, they have bull rushes. It's what you hide in on the lakeshore when the bluebills are flying in and you... Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's not like a bull rushing at you. Yeah, well, that's what this is. It's like there's a picture of a bull on the on the label of the product, and really? you know, it's coming into your bugle. So if oh. you have bugleberry and bull rush, I mean, uh, it's, you're, you're you, bound to kill an you elk. You probably need, don't dare sleep in a wall tent. Oh, well, yeah. A bull will come and tear your tent up. That's the right. sounds of it. Mm. Yep. Well, you got like an elk talk or elk 101 promo code for that stuff? Yeah, there's too. an elk talk promo code. Okay. Yeah. Anything on Mountain Ops. Okay. Yeah. And they have just, they have like this random schedule. Like one day you'll use the Elk Talk podcast or the Elk Talk promo code and you'll save 30%. Yeah. And the next day it'll be free shipping. And so it's just kind of, there's always something. There's always an incentive there. Because with my bum liver, I got to be careful what I put in my body. Uh, But their hydrate stuff and their electrolyte stuff, I'm like a fanatic user of it can you can you take too much of that stuff oh i'm sure you can 
Okay. So I mean, anytime you're talking, yeah, I mean, anytime you're talking electrolytes or anything, I think uh, if you're getting too many of those things, mm -hmm. they can become uh, detrimental to, okay. you know, kidney health. And I think kidney uh -oh. stones can come from Ooh. too many. Of oh, that's what Donnie's problem. Uh, you know, Donnie is definitely a user. <laughs> well, no, when it when it gets hot like this and I get dehydrated, I just water's great, but I gotta I need more than just yeah. water. So So they have a new product that uh I think by the time this podcast comes out, I hope it's okay to talk about it, but talk we're, about we're going it. to. Yeah, Jake sent us an email and I'm like, I'm sure Corey'll take care of this because Oh, did he, he send he, us an email? I haven't even I you talk, copied on it. Well I I talked to Jake yesterday, but okay. I didn't get the email, but yeah, they've got uh, gummies coming out. Oh, that wasn't in the email. Slumber gummies. Slumber gummies. Come yeah. on. Yeah. And what what's in them? So slumber is the you know the melatonin helps mm -hmm. you fall asleep. Yeah. And uh, so these gummies, you can take a gummy to help you fall asleep instead of because so for me, when I have a a, a drink of anything right before bed, mm -hmm. I have to get up at like two thirty in the morning and. To pee. And relieve it, yeah. yeah. So a gummy that I don't have to drink two cups of water to get oh. the effects of the slumber, I can just eat a gummy right before bed, and then I can sleep and not have to wake uh, up. And you sleep so hard you won't even pee in your sleeping bag. Oh, well, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that'd be like a bad problem if yeah. someone peed in their sleeping bag, and it was cold out. It's like, hmm. It, it might, might be worse if it was warm. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the email? Were, are we supposed to talk about something from an I, email? I should look it up and see. Well, Jake sent it to us. I was. I think it was to you, and I think I was the copy. Uh-oh. The CC. Corey's got his phone so far away right it's, now. It's, it's blurry <laughs> even at that. I look like an old person. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> Randy took the stairs last night, and I, I decided I needed to follow him up the stairs to make sure he made it. Yeah, yeah, I took the stairs, and Corey's like, well, I better take, if you're taking them, I better take them too. And I thought he's, like, I was guilting him into it, and he's like, no, in case an old guy like you fell down, I wouldn't want you to lay here in the stairwell all night. I'm like, oh, great, thanks, Corey, I appreciate your concern. You get any kinder, you'll die of enlargement of the heart That's or something. Right. But, uh, so... Uh, How long ago was that email from Jake? I don't know. Yeah. I, I looked. I've got 1,300 unread emails that I got to take care of. The good part is more than half of them, I'm sure, should have went into my spam bin. But Man, I'm telling so. you, my last email from him was in June. Hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. Huh. Well, 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 we'll talk about it on the next yeah, podcast. Yeah, we'll figure it out. But now you know, there, there's a new product coming. I'm pretty sure he said it's coming next week. So mm. by the time this podcast is out there, okay, yeah, we might have just lost a sponsor. But Probably. <laughs> oh, well. You weren't supposed to let the cat out of the bag yet. Mm. Oh, well. Yeah. But uh, other than that, I'm, uh, I've been shooting my bow. Doing Arm doing good? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing how many people come up and ask me, eat any pizza lately? <laughs> oh, damn. Can I just quit talking about this? Uh, but then you, you get to see a lot of other people who, you know, they everyone's got some sort of ailment that they deal with, and you overcome it. Yep. Yeah. That's what elk hunting's all about. Yeah. 
overcoming obstacles. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. I'm uh, I'm just excited to get out. I've I've been doing so much traveling this summer with events like this. I love doing them, but it it gets in the way of getting my work done. Yeah. My wife would say, well, no, you get in your way of getting your work done. <laughs> uh, and I love meeting all the people and doing all the volunteer stuff. But uh, now I'm, my mind shifts at this. It's like August 1st is always like, all right, really start dialing in, Randy. No, no more goofing off here. Yeah. But the older I get, I need to start moving that date back to like February 1st and August 1st. <laughs> <laughs> Year-round. Yeah. yeah. I, I dug my elk calls out the other day and was practicing a little bit. I, uh, Warriors for Qu- uh, Warriors in Quiet Waters is an outfit in Bozeman that they have uh, a program called Hunt for Purpose. And they bring these warriors in and they, te- they use archery elk hunting as a way to give them this purposeful, just, regimented disciplined yeah. activity that is a year-round thing yeah uh and so they had me and john barclow out there last week talking about calls and setups and clothing and gear and it's like again i was, I was kind of i feel like i put myself on the spot by trying to teach something it's like you really got to think this stuff through. You do. You know, and the questions came up of, okay, and this was one that I'd be interested. I, w- I said, I wish Corey was here to answer this, <laughs> uh, which is kind of a default way of saying, all right, maybe I'm making this up. I'm not making it up. I'm just telling people how I do it, but that means I don't have a lot of confidence in how I do it. They're like, you know, a lot of times elk are moving away from you. And, you know, you're two or three bulls, and you just can't ever get that that real vocal bull to come back. And I'm like, yep, that's true. Because usually, he's if you're hearing two or three bulls, it's usually one bull pushing a group of cows. might be only three cows, or it might be a dozen cows. And he's got a couple guys trying to take them away from him. He's going to turn around and come back to you. Right. <laughs> I'm like... So you just got to kind of satisfy yourself that you're probably not going to catch him. But those other two guys, they've probably got themselves worked up into a frenzy here. So maybe work on those two and do maybe sell, you know, make it sound like you're a cow that somehow got left behind or something and be ready because he's probably going to come in silently. He's not going to advertise to the big bull who's already got some cows. Hey, yeah. uh, you know, I got this gal back here. <laughs> na, 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 na. And uh, so they, they talked about how that has happened to him many times. There's that. Time. And the other thing to keep in mind is that elk's going to stop at some point. Right. That's and when he stops, he's, he's willing to fight then. Yeah. Like you said, he's moving with cows. And if there's another bull, even if it's just you behind him, Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to stop and come back and take a chance of those cows getting ahead of him or away from him. So yeah. it's hard to turn a bull with cows when they're heading to their bedding area. Yep. But once they get to their bedding area, he doesn't want company there. He wants to protect that area and keep other bulls away from the cows. And yeah. when they get there, that's a prime time to yep. get in his face. And I explained, I said, you know, the reason, there's a couple of reasons why he's heading uphill in the morning. One... I think he knows you're chasing him and it's harder for you to go uphill than it is for him. 
even though they're just going up. The real reason they're going uphill is because the thermal's coming downhill. They feel comfortable heading uphill into the, with the breeze in their face. Going to tell them if there's problems, predators, danger, or whatever. And he's going to use that and take them to their bed. And this, this is a part that I think we as humans don't give enough credit to is these elk live on that mountain or in that foothill country, wherever it is. 365. I mean, yep. they know if they stand in this spot on a warm day with the thermal coming up, but a slightly northwest wind, they know exactly where to go bed, where there's going to be some sort of swirl, some yep. sort of thing that... They're uh, protected. Yeah. And they're going to disperse themselves a little bit where, okay, if, if we're on this little saddle or this little bench or this shaded slight slope... If you go over here and I go over there and you go down there and he goes up here, we got it pretty well covered. Yep. We're going to either see or smell it. And so we as humans, I think, have this belief that these elk just go bed somewhere randomly. Or that they're patternable and they're going to take the same trail to get to the yeah. same place every day. They're not. No. Because Cloud cover? They're going to bed somewhere, somewhere different than different. on a clear morning. Yeah. And they're going to take a different path to get there. Yeah. And if it's... if the the thermals might stay the same, but if the prevailing is out of the southwest versus the north, again, they're going to bed in some different place. Yep. And uh, I was trying to explain that. I don't know if I did a very good job of it, but uh, so I, I, I long ago gave up trying to catch up to a bull pushing his cows in the morning, going uphill. I still try. It's, well, I just <laughs> lag along behind. I'm like, well, let's just keep, uh, hopefully he keeps advertising and we'll we'll catch up to him by about 11 o'clock. Yeah, like when you said, you know, there's a bull with cows and there's two satellite bulls and they're bugling back and forth. There's no need to even call Yeah. at that point. Just be quiet and go behind them, let them keep talking and eventually they're going to stop and that's when you can be like, okay, they're yeah. stopped. The two other satellite bulls are frustrated because the big bull won't let them close. They're going to come running into my cow call. Yeah. And the big bull is going to come running in to, if I bugle, to chase me off. And yeah, that's... Yeah. So, so rather than chase them up the mountain, when they get their bedding area, you tire out and walk back down the mountain to your camp and take a nap. <laughs> you just you just walked out of probably the best opportunity you'll right. have. Yeah. So at that thing, the questions you get are very specific yeah. to scenarios. And uh, they cause me to think a lot. And I wonder if the scenario they're explaining is really the scenario I'm understanding. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, I hope I'm not giving the wrong advice here. Uh, because I I think they're talking about scenario A when really they're talking about scenario C. But I, th I think the gist and the lessons and the principles pretty much apply. And I suspect we'll get a bunch of that tonight. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably get a bunch of it as quick as we quit this podcast I know. And, <laughs> and swing by Dairy Queen and get up there to the to the event today. But I, I really enjoy that part of it. Yeah. I, I could stand there all day and, and talk about these kind of things with people. Like when you've been doing the uh, Reaching Your Peak uh, episodes in between the main episodes, a lot of people have been commenting about how those are really it's specific for them. and yeah, yeah. specific yeah. detail on strategy and and yeah. we do the in the zone videos on the elk 101 youtube page and there we basically take a single setup 
and use 3D modeling to show. And so it is very specific. You know, when somebody says, what do you do if a bull's moving, you know, up the mountain to his bedding area and he's got cows and won't turn around? We've got a video of that yeah. and we show and then we model, you know, so you're not just looking on ground level through a camera. Mm -hmm. You get up in the sky and you can see where the bull's going, why he's going there, what the thermals are doing. And then, you know, seeing it from that bird's eye view, it's like, well, the hunter needs to be up here. Right. You know, he can't just follow him straight up the mountain because when the thermals change, he's going to get busted. He should move over onto this ridge, which you can see in the, you know, the 3D imagery, mm -hmm. get up here and then there's a bench and then he can come across that bench. And so it's so, like you say, sometimes people ask a question. You're like, well, I don't know if I understand it, but here's what I would do based on my understanding. Right. And so when you have actual footage and 3D imagery and stuff that you can show, it's so much easier to explain and so much easier to understand. And Yeah. Well, I get a ton of calling questions like, well, I am tr having a problem with this. I'm like, you know what? You need to go out to Corey's University of Elk Hunting. There's no place that is a more complete set of elk calling instruction than that. Would you say that I still applies? I don't. Mr. Modesty. I mean, you said it, so. Yeah. I don't I, need I'm to saying say it. it. So <laughs> if, if you want to pick up some tips... Uh, well, if you only watched an hour a day between now and when archery season starts, I don't know if you'd get through the University of Elk Hunting. Yeah, I think you would. would you? Yeah, okay. it'd be All right. an hour a day for a month. Okay. But, and again, there's a lot of stuff in there that, you know, somebody might not need. Right. But there's, there's enough in there that I think my goal was to make it a benefit for anybody regardless of how experienced they are. Yeah. And that's not to say that I'm so experienced I can help anybody no matter how experienced they are. That's to say I wanted to cover every topic that I could even imagine. And that's why, you know, I brought you in on the late season stuff because I'm not yeah. the I'm not the guy that has a lot of experience there. And yeah. so, you know, adding your instruction and your knowledge and experience there, I, I really think that it is the most comprehensive course and combination or compilation of elk hunting resource that is available. Yeah. So go out to outdoorclass.com because the University of Elk Hunting, that's where you get it now. Plus you get all the other outdoor class stuff. Elk Talk podcast saves them 20. Elk Talk. Yep. Oh, elk yep. Talk. Yeah. Elk Talk. Yeah. Elk Talk. There you go. Elk yeah. Talk promo code <laughs> saved you 20%. Yeah. I think something like that. Uh, but, and then you've also got a bunch of other calling stuff yeah. on, on outdoor class. So anyhow, this, we get a lot of these questions and I know people sound like I'm trying to, you know, just pedal <laughs> a, a product and it's not that it's for the, after you use a promo code, it's 80 bucks or 79 bucks yeah. or something. It's if you have this question, it's going to answer that and a whole lot more. And yep. you know, I think about what people spend on an elk hunt, myself included. It's like if what I do you spend the, on a tank of gas? Yeah, right now, four dollars <laughs> <Yeah>. a gallon. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I gassed up my truck the other day. I, my Raptor, I think, has a thirty-four gallon tank. I think, <laughs> and uh, it uh, was almost empty. It was. Hundred and eighteen dollars yeah. or something. I'm like, holy mackinac. Yep. 
man, I need to. And you go scouting one time, and you got to do it again when you get back that <laughs> night. Yeah, that's when it's hard. Yeah, I need I need to take my wife's Honda CRV out scouting. There you go. <laughs> that won't go over put very a, well. Put a coexist sticker in the back window, and nobody will know the better. They'll be like, oh, there's somebody just out hiking. <laughs> Uh, Old guy in blue yeah. jeans and a flannel shirt with trekking poles. He's not a threat. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm sure when people see me on the trail, they're like, this guy is definitely not a threat <laughs> to my elk, honey. <laughs> uh, but, well, I think we've covered a few topics. Yeah. And, and uh, hopefully people keep sending in more of them. Yep. And uh, hopefully they're getting ready for, for hunting season. Uh, I know I am. Yeah. I've I mean, got to spend next week on a boat. And then, uh, oh, my condolences, man. Well, it's, uh, you know, you have to do certain things. And oh, yeah. this is, uh, my, my wife's parents' 50th wedding anniversary, you and they wanted to go on Alaska cruise. So, you better be there and you better Absolutely. have a smile like a ripple on a slop. Pad. You know, it wouldn't be the first choice of what to do the, you know, first week of August or whatever, but <laughs> it's my first choice now. And That's I'm right. going to, I'm going to love every minute of it. You're darn right you are. And if you aren't, I'm going to make you love every no, minute. You don't gonna... have to. I mean, we're going to Alaska on a boat. So, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, it's a lot better than your wife saying, "Hey, you want to go to Phoenix for the week in August?" August. No thanks. Yeah, pass. <laughs> <laughs> but I would go if I if she asked me. Yeah, well, uh, you'll be the one guy jogging around the the boat. You know, you'll you'll have wore a. I don't know. I'm uh, I'm taking my laptop and my podcasting kit, and I'm uh, really? I might get more work done there mm-hmm. on the on the boat in a week than I would at the office. Really? Hmm. Well, heck, you, you'll have it made. Well, you're on the boat. I'm going back. I do my annual visits at the Mayo Clinic usually in July or August. So I'm going to go there and see if they have any response about my liver deal other than, oh, you're just getting older. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just track everything up to get another year old. Maybe start taking the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's certain risks with walking upstairs for you. And Yeah. I mean, I see the scar on your right arm and... Yeah, if you yeah. fell on the stairs, that's uh, <laughs> uh, it's well, they always told me, you know, once you get to a certain point, you might die of some some other cause. I'm like, well, <laughs> with my behavior and my clumsiness, you know, that's starting to be more true than I realized. But so I'll be in muggy, humid Minnesota that week, yeah. going to see some family along the way and do all that. But then when I get home, it's full steam ahead. Yeah, it's like red zone. Where? Yeah. Too close to September, and it comes fast. Yeah, and and Michael is filming my Idaho hunt, and Michael's been fishing all summer. He's like, man, I'm so out of shape. (laughs) I want to film you. Is that his way of getting in shape quick, or is that his way of saying... (laughs) I think it's his way of saying, Marcus has a sheep tag, and he's been hiking since he found out about that in early, mid-May. I don't want to, as Michael's saying, I don't want to have to follow Marcus. I'd rather follow you. That's a very smart decision on Michael's part. Yeah. So. Uh, Just make him pay. Make him pay for making that comment. Yeah. I I really hope I do. Yeah. I'd love to shoot one. Because Michael is so cool. He gets so excited when we get something. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) he's the guy who should be in front of the camera when we 
finally feel attacked. Yeah. He's filming, but he puts the camera down, like, yeah, punching his fist, all fired up, all excited. It's like, man, this is the guy who should be in front of the camera, not me. But uh, it'll be fun. Yeah. I've, I've not hunted that part of Idaho before, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, and the adventure for me is always, it doesn't have to be, you know, going to the arctic circle or something for it to be adventure for me just somewhere uh, new yeah so i'll uh i'll put a dent in your grouse population i hope well, too i hope you do yeah i'm thinking should i carry four judo points in one broad head or four broad heads <laughs> in one judo point uh, we uh, i would never bet i would never bet on how many judo points are in your quiver yeah well, you wouldn't no yeah. you, you you might lose that bet i bet i would <laughs> Uh, well, Corey, let's go get them, huh? Let's yeah. go raise some money for the Elk Foundation. Oh, I thought you meant the Dilly Bars. That's what I've been daydreaming about well, the yeah, whole time. I'm, I'm going to go let's pick go those get them. up. And I'm going <laughs> to, I do this at TAC events. I go buy three or 400 Dilly Bars and I just hand them out at the RMEF booth. And if you sign up to be an RMEF member, you get a Dilly Bar. Or if you bring a kid by, they get a Dilly Bar no matter what. And if for some reason I have to leave and I haven't got rid of them all, then I just walk around and hand them out, kind of like, you know. And I'm I'm assigned security today, so I'm sitting at the freezer, mm. keeping an eye and a hand on go. them. There you go. Yeah. And when people have elk hunting questions, I'll say that guy over there guarding the freezer. He's your man. <laughs> see, the, see the guy with the chocolate mint dripping yeah. down his chin? Go talk yeah. to him. Yeah, the guy with the mountain op shirt that has the chocolate stain <laughs> on the front of it. <laughs> Guilty. Yeah. Well, folks, thanks for being here. I hope you have as much fun as we do every day. You know, I often say that I'm the luckiest guy on the planet, and my job is to get up every day and prove it. There you go. So I like that. Yeah. You don't prove it by whining and sniveling. You, get, you just got to get up, smile, and go after it. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Thanks for being here, folks. <laughs>